Welcome back to another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor joined, as always, by my guy, Kyle Irving. Took a break, uh, took a week off, (laughs) took a break uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. But we're back. Kyle, how was your Thanksgiving, man? It was good. I can't complain. Stayed out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I've learned to love Thanksgiving as a friend's holiday. Um, you know, you, you don't have to do any of the small talk with the family. I'm going to see, you know, that exact same family uh, when I go back home for Christmas. So got to hang out here with some of the friends, you know, make some good food, watch some football. And uh, I mean, still plenty of basketball to watch while we took that break. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's even nicer on the West Coast when the weather. I don't know. I'm assuming the weather was was pleasant out there. So it's I'm sure that helps. out here, man. See, exactly. So that helps too. Uh, out here in North Carolina, a little bit chillier, but spent some time with some family and it, it was cool. So obviously a lot to be thankful for. And always we appreciate those who subscribe as cheesy as it is for me to segue that way. But we appreciate all of you guys who subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, uh, because it's, it means a lot to us. Now you mentioned a lot of things are going on in the NBA. We are sitting here recording on. Wednesday, November 29th, last night, the in-season tournament wrapped up, and it was the best kind of chaos there was, right? We're, we're talking point differentials, hack a drumming when the team's up 25-plus points, teams scoreboard watching, Josh Hart tweeting pictures of Rolexes. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because I think the last night of the in-season tournament, there there was interest in the in-season tournament throughout, right? But I feel like the last night was like all the interest that there was throughout combined ended up in that last night. And that's exactly what the league wanted, at least for, in my eyes, it feels like it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I actually have to give you a shout-out right off the bat because you were all in on the in-season <laughs> tournament. I was maybe a little bit more skeptical than you were. Um, but the final product was awesome, man. I mean, you know, there was a lot of jokes last night on Twitter about, like, the whole point differential tiebreaker thing. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. In fact, I mean, we're yeah. talking about it right now. But it's like, you know, maybe that was a little much. Maybe it's a little too much to figure out. I mean, I, I shouldn't have to, like, have a calculator by my side doing math. Like, yeah. we, we shouldn't have to have, like, Joe Missoula and Billy Donovan, like, you know, doing mental math courtside to, like, try and figure out, like, all right, you guys are up by 30. How many how many points do you need to win by? All right, let's subtract that. All right, you're now, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on i'm sure that's something that they'll clean up uh you know going into year two of the in-season tournament but at the same time like you just said it it served its purpose right like you know i'm sitting there watching the celtics bulls game all the way down to the final buzzer because Mm -hmm. it's like this team needs to win by at least 23 points to have a chance to win their group in advance in the in-season tournament and then boom right away that game ends flip over to raptors nets all right now the raptors i mean the nets need to beat the raptors in order for the celtics to get in it's like you're kind of watching these dominoes Mm -hmm. fall in right. real time. And even if it's complicated, complicated to keep up with, it was entertaining. And that was, you know, that was what the purpose of the, the in-season tournament was in the first place is to make these, you know, end of November, early December games that people don't usually care about, uh, have a little bit of meaning behind them. Yeah. I think that so much like, and people who aren't necessarily the biggest NBA fans are often critical of the fact that some of the games in the early part of the season don't feel that meaningful, right? And now here we are with everybody really just trying to tune in and, and, and flip the channels from these games on a Tuesday night at the end of November. And that's exactly uh, what it is. And these guys are playing extremely hard and it means a lot. I know we talked about, you mentioned the Celtics. They are the Group C winners. I made a terrible pun. I said Group C us rise. Um, I don't know <laughs> if anybody uh, liked that or not, but they're also joined in the quarterfinals by the Bucks and the Knicks. 
and the Pacers. And I just said that in a weird order, but we have the Celtics matched up with the Pacers and the Bucks match up with the Knicks in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We get another installment of Suns Lakers, meaning we get to see Kevin Durant and LeBron James share the floor again, knock on wood. And we will also see the New Orleans Pelicans take on the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento because the Kings went 4-0 and in their group. Uh, so it's exciting matchups too, right? Like all these, uh, there's some storylines that I kind of made up and had some fun with, you know, whether it's Aaron Neesmith's revenge or De'Aaron Fox <laughs> being born in New Orleans or whatever the case is. But it is like actually really fun matchups when you think about like the fact that they're like, Young up and coming teams. I think the, the coolest thing for me is the Pacers. They took care of business. They went four and zero. Got some wins. People probably didn't expect them to win. This is a team that probably wouldn't be in that big of a spotlight um, if it weren't for them advancing in the in-season tournament. But now people get to see just how special Tyrese Halliburton is, just how potent this Pacers offense is, just so long as they don't give up one fifty five to the Celtics again because they did that already this season. Yeah, that was actually like pretty much right where I was going to start is the fact that the Pacers get revenge on a 51-point loss to the Celtics <laughs> earlier this year after the Celts hung 155 points on them. Um, but, you know, to your point, like this is exactly what the in-season tournament was about as well in terms of like teams like the Pacers, teams like the Pelicans, teams like the Kings, these like young up-and-coming teams that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say teams like the the Pelicans and Kings don't have a chance to make a run and try and get to the NBA finals. Like I'm sure they feel like they're right there, but at the same time, like it gives those types of teams something to play for. Um, before we dive into the matchups, I did want to send some condolences to the Orlando Magic, who have been I awesome know, this man. season, but they get finessed out of the Group C title, even though they beat the Celtics by way of a three-way, three-way tiebreaker um, with the point differential. So though, again, like they're another type of team that it would have mm-hmm. been awesome to see them competing in the knockout stage. Uh, the Thunder, another team like that. I mean, they didn't play so well in the in-season tournament, but they would have been fun to see. The Timberwolves have been mm-hmm. awesome this year. Uh, first place in the Western Conference, they would have been fun to see make it to the knockout stage. But, you know, like you said, we still get to see teams like the Pacers, teams like the Pelicans, teams like the Kings that might not be in this big of a spotlight at any other point in the season. I mean, the Kings made the playoffs last year, but the Pelicans right. and Pacers. Um, and now we get to watch them play on an in-season tournament, um, you know, winner go home type uh, playoff atmosphere uh, and potentially in Las Vegas too. Yeah, that's the cool thing, right? Um, I can't really remember. I know the Pacers had a play in turn. I mean, excuse me, a play. Yeah, play in play in tournament mm-hmm. game against the Hornets a few years ago, and 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 ran them out of the gym. But yep. that's really been like their their biggest highlight at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in a while. Now they get to host an in season tournament game with the Celtics coming in, and that's not an easy matchup. But still, it's at home, and you get a bit of a boost from playing at home. The Kings, we saw how uh, raucous their crowd was last year during the playoffs and now they get a chance to do that again uh, for one in-season tournament game lakers it's just something about that lighting at, at, at crypto people still call it staples you know for big games there and, and the crowd and energy there um even though the lakers have had some ups and downs this this season um when you look in the in the eastern conference the bucks right the bucks and the knicks they met earlier uh in, in group play so they go head to head but the big thing for me and I, when i was looking at these matchups and it's cool because you we only get to focus on four um when it's the Pelicans and the Kings and when I think about the Pels and last year, um, they got their, you know, play in tournament win to open things up and then they lost to the Timberwolves and, and just missed the playoffs the year before. They got two really uh thrilling wins, especially that comeback they had over the Clippers to make the playoffs. And they actually uh showed showed up for themselves when they went and, and took the Suns to six games that year. But for all of those games, Zion Williamson wasn't there. Like this is going to be the first big stage that he's played on at the NBA level, right? Like, and, and obviously he has no control of the injuries and things like that. But for the first time, finally, you know, 
since he was drafted first overall in 2019, this is year five for Zion Williamson. Like, you know, who knows if they can get past the Kings, but if they do, he gets to play on that Las Vegas stage, which will be even bigger. And I have no idea what to expect from that. We can talk about the semifinals and, and championship later. But when I'm thinking about these quarterfinals, I'm really excited to see. I, I, I kind of wish it was a home game at, at the Blender down in New Orleans, but still <laughs> like seeing him, uh, you know, in Sacramento, you know, it's going to be a lot there. You know, you have Valanchunas and, and, uh, Sabonis going back and forth. You talked to Sabonis about this, you know, over the during the offseason. I know they're taking it seriously as well. Two young and up and coming teams that are similar but different as far as where they are on the timeline. And, and then again, just Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum is back in the lineup for the Pelicans after the small collapse lung. Like it's it's a really good matchup that kind of gives a glimpse to the future of the NBA. So I like that. Yeah, same here. I think that's a great matchup to highlight because, again, this is really like this matchup is what the in-season tournament is all about. Right. You have De'Aaron Fox, who just came back from injury. He's like sneaky averaging 30 points and like six assists per <laughs> yeah. game. Um, Malik Monk, I mean, hit that game winner last night against yeah. the Warriors, which was a prayer. Um, but, you know, he's he's a six-man of the year candidate. He's been awesome mm-hmm. as well. You already talked about Sabonis. And then you look over on the Pels, like Zion got off to a really slow start to the season. And I actually hadn't even really thought of it in that lens that you just talked about, about this being like kind of his first real big stage because he wasn't there for any of the playing games and the playoff series and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, he got off to a slower start than people would have expected. And over his last five games, he's averaging 27 points on 60% shooting from the field. So mm-hmm. like he's starting to figure it out as well. The Pelicans, uh, you know, they had injuries at the start of the year with guys like Jose Alvarado. Uh, Trey Murphy is, you know, still out of the lineup and guys like, Jordan Hawkins is coming. He's been mm-hmm. a knockdown shooter the same way he was at the college level. Dyson Daniels is stepping up on the defensive yeah. end. Like they have young guys that are stepping up that are going to, you know, people who watch league pass night in and night out, they're seeing these type of things happen, but these teams aren't on primetime very much. So now right. like these young guys are going to get an opportunity to show, you know, really what they're made of on a bigger stage. And that's super exciting. And I think that's just another way that, you know, the, the intensity, we already talked about how it was in the group stage. Like the intensity is going to be, playoff-esque at least i feel like it's going to be playoff-esque uh you know in these winner go home games so you know that's that's a matchup that i'm really looking forward to as well yeah you mentioned that i think that's that's the best part about the fact that that they're bringing they're starting this off in home arenas um and and fans get a chance one more chance to kind of send their team off and and everybody's playing for something obviously the the monetary prize these teams who made to the quarterfinals every player gets 50k a piece then if you advance i think it's 125 and then 200 and 500 for the winners um you mentioned jordan hawkins he was just on a team that won a pretty significant tournament last year so now he gets to play in the in-season tournament and of course i'm referencing him playing at uconn uh last season now I guess there's not too much to say about the Knicks and Bucks. We can talk about that because I feel like there's a lot to say about the Lakers and Suns. Um, but when I think about the, that, the Knicks-Bucks game, um, it's going to be back in Milwaukee. Um, Damon Giannis, I know I've been oh, – critical is probably too too strong of a word, but I have been a little not all in. And I say that as they've won – they're 13-5 through 18 games. So to say that, you know – they haven't, they've left more to be desired and they, and they started off 13 to five. I think that is an encouraging prospect, uh, for this Bucks team. Um, you know, Chris Middleton is starting to look more like himself. And I don't know, you know, what capacity of, of what he once was he can be. Cause I know that knee injury has been something that's bothering him. We keep expecting Brooke Lopez to take a step back as he gets older. And he, we're, we're a couple of days off of him having a career high 39 points. Um, but the Knicks are, are a team who it doesn't matter who they're matched up against. They always have a chance to win because it's a rock fight. They're going to play their game. 
They got Jalen Brunson. R.J. Barrett's been playing well lately. Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. It's actually a, a pretty good matchup between these two teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Knicks have a top five defense in the NBA. And yeah. to your point, like the Bucks again, and kind of like I said about Zion, like they got off to a slower start than people expected, but they're really starting to kind of come along here. I actually like, I, I looked at Dame's uh, splits from his first eight games and his last eight games before we hopped on here. Dame started the season in his first eight games, 22.8 points, 4.8 assists. He was shooting 37% from the field and 27% from three. That is horrendous, especially for, you know, Dame standards is one of the best shooters in NBA history. Uh, over the last eight games, those numbers are looking like 29 points per game, eight assists per game, shooting 46% from the field and 40% from three. So that's looking a lot more like the Damian Lillard that we would have expected. And even in those first eight games, he had some moments like, you know, I, I'm, now that I'm bringing it up. I don't remember exactly what team. Actually, it was against the Pistons. He hit some big shots late in the fourth quarter and you're kind of like, all right, there's Dame time. This is why they brought him in. And, you know, now he's starting to do it more consistently throughout an entire game. Um, and now we're going to get to see, you know, again, it's a little bit of a taste of the playoff stage and and how they're going to handle those reps at the end of the game. And, you know, whose who's, uh, hands of the ball going to be in? Is it going to be Damian Lillard? Is it going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo? Are they kicking out to Chris Middleton? Like, how is this going to go? I mean, it feels like Dame is the guy. That's why they brought him in. But we're going to get to see that against one of the best defenses in the NBA. That's the thing that you mentioned that really kind of has me curious because of the nature of the tournament. Obviously, it's one and done. Um, more like the a college type type deal. But as we know in, in the NBA, and I guess that kind of applies to the playing tournament at, at the end of the season. But as we know in the NBA, postseason basketball, things slow down. The game, you know, the possessions decrease. Um, it's so much about strategy and execution. But because this is just like a one off and it does still count as a regular season game. I'm really curious to see how this is going to feel because I mean, for a coach like Adrian Griffin, who is in his first year as a full-time head coach on a team that has real title aspirations, execution and strategy is going to be huge for him. And this is going to be big reps for him trying to figure out how to make things work for this team who it's title or bust after they made that Damian Lillard deal. I mean, that same goes for, for a lot of these teams. I know, you know, the younger teams like the Pelicans and the Kings and the Pacers are playing to kind of get some reps and know what it feels like to play, you know, uh, high leverage situations, whereas the Kings have done it. The Pelicans have to a certain extent, but the Pacers really haven't. So I'm really curious to see from an X to the no standpoint and the game pace and then the physicality standpoint, how much it's going to feel like we're watching the playoffs um, because now point differential is out the window and all those things don't matter. It's about doing everything you can to get the win. So I'm really curious to see what kind of games we're going to get um, in each of these matchups. Yeah. And like to, you know, kind of build on that. It's like, what are these coaches going to do with rotations? Like obviously in the playoffs, rotations yeah. kind of shrink to like seven, eight guys. That's and, true. You know, coaches really just land like lean on the hands that they trust. And now, you know, it's still an extension of the regular season. Like you said, they still count as regular season wins and losses. So, you know, are, are coaches going to like really shorten up that rotation and treat it like the playoffs? Or are they still going to be playing like nine, 10 guys, uh, you know, as if it's a game in December, you know, like any other regular season game? Like, I think obviously in the moments in the fourth quarter, like we're going to see the stars on the court the same way that we, you know, in the fourth quarter last night when a team like the Celtics is up by 29 points and they have their starters checking back into the game, like teams are taking this seriously. It's just like, to your point, how, um, you know, how much is this going to really feel like an authentic winner go home playoff game? I think the intensity is going to be there, but I do feel like coaches are probably still going to go nine, 10 guys deep into their bench. They're still mm -hmm. going to treat it sort of like a regular season ish game. And then, you know, once it gets into crunch time, then we're going to start to see that playoff intensity.
Hundred percent, hundred percent. I know we talked about the games and we talked about who's playing who, but we didn't talk about the the schedule. Uh, it opens on Monday, December fourth. Celtics at Pacers, then Pelicans at Kings, and then Tuesday, Knicks at Bucks, and it all wraps up with Suns at Lakers. I think that was by design. I think it all kind of rises up because I think that is the matchup that probably has the most anticipation. It's hard not to ignore the star power with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal is still. A ways away from returning to the floor, it seems like. Um, but this matchup has it all. And I think the big thing that I mentioned is, you know, the guy on the sideline in Phoenix, Frank Vogel, led this Lakers team to a championship not that long ago. Um, they fired him not that long after he led them to a championship. And as competitive as each of these guys are, I would say one through 17, but it's really like one through 25 because the coaches and the support staff, they're super competitive too. And the coaches get a share of the winnings as well. The coaches get get money from this as well. I think that when you talk about the X's and O's and, and the chess match you know, from each guy on the sideline, I think that that is going to be one that really does feel like a playoff game just because these are – I know the Milwaukee has a, a pretty old team, but I would be willing to to go pretty far out on the limb and say that of the playing tournament, I mean the in season tournament teams, there's probably the most postseason matchup. I mean, off LeBron James alone, but the most postseason yeah. experience among guys in this game is probably going to be in, in Lakers Suns. No, I totally agree, and I also think you know something else that you know you didn't mention is. AD had that comment after the Suns knocked him out in the first round in yeah. 2021 where he was yeah. like, yeah, you know, if I was at full strength, we would have beat them. And him and Book kind of went back and forth. It's like, you know, this – I think it's a it's from a friendly level, but it's just like super right. competitive guys who have nothing mm-hmm. but respect for what like right. each – like whether it's Book, whether at the time it was Chris Paul, you know, it's LeBron James, it's Anthony Davis, like, you know, Kevin Durant. Like these guys have so much respect for what they've accomplished at the NBA level that – you know, I mean, I think it was Kevin Durant also that said he's like, you compete the hardest against your friends. And like, right. that's kind of what this matchup feels like to me. And, you know, I mean, you know, as well as anybody, because about 10 times you tried to write that Kevin Durant, LeBron James story, <laughs> and it kept having to get pushed off because someone was, was missing a matchup. But we got to cherish these matchups while we have them. Yep. And it's, it's, I feel like, like LeBron gets his flowers for how crazy it is, like what he's doing at this age and this stage in his career because it's never been done before. But like, I don't think that people are really giving Kevin Durant the flowers that he deserves for doing what he's doing at this age, coming off of two major leg injuries. Like this guy's 35 years old. There's only been two players in NBA history who have averaged over 30, 30 points per game in their age 35 season or older. It was LeBron James in 2021-22, and it's Kevin Durant this season. He's doing it shooting 52% from three-point range. Like, this guy has somehow gotten better coming off of two major injuries. And he's doing, you know, something similar to what we're seeing with LeBron at this age and how unprecedented it is. And I think he gets some attention, but it doesn't feel like he gets his flowers the way that LeBron does. So, you know, I think this is going to be a cool cool moment for NBA fans to really be like, all right, this is like what, you know, a LeBron James versus Kevin Durant playoff series could look like. And this is what it looked like if they were both on the floor and fully healthy and everything like that. Like, I'm really excited to watch those two compete in a one-and-done setting. You said it was 52% from three? Yeah, 52%. 52 from Trey Ball is OD shooting hang pools. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys going to set that up. You're talking about getting his flowers. Chet Holmgren uh, confused the internet. Uh, he responded to a tweet from Legion Hoops. At the time, KD was shooting 54% from three. And Chet said 54 from Trey Ball is OD shooting hang pools. I wrote a, a, a <laughs> translation about it over at the Sporting News. He was just saying that KD is shooting really efficiently from beyond the arc. And it's pretty crazy that he's doing that because a lot of his threes are hesitation pull-ups. And when you watch a guy like Kevin Durant, we've always talked about his, a, his game aging gracefully. 
And I don't think that we would have expected this. Like, I mean, even at this point, right? Like, to your point, I would still be blown away if KD was averaging 25 a game. The fact that, you know, he went down with the Achilles injury and I was saying, you know, he'll probably be a shell of himself, but a shell of what KD once was is still one of the best players in the world. KD is back playing like one of the best scorers that's ever picked up a basketball. He's not showing any signs of slowing down. Um, and it's really cool to see. And, and to your point, I know when they played uh, at the beginning of the year, I appreciate the NBA for scheduling KD and LeBron. I think the first week of the season they played, and at the end of the game, they're like, man, it's been a while since we've done this. The last time was Christmas 2018. Like, we aren't and, – and it was it was, it was kind of sad to hear him say it, but it's true. Like, you know, we don't have that many more of these left. And it, 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 thankfully, because of this, and I think this is one of the big reasons why I was a big uh, – I guess a, a big – pushing for this in-season tournament is that I knew that we were going to get extra matchups between good teams, right? So now the Suns and the Lakers will play five times this year and whatever it is, whoever ends up making it to the championship, which we'll get to, um, we get one extra meeting between the best Eastern conference or one of the best Eastern conference and one of the best Western conference teams in the NBA. So I think that's the biggest thing, um, you know, to see these two ageless wonders, um, two of the greatest to ever pick up a basketball, whether you have them top 15, top 12, top 10, whatever is undeniable KD and LeBron James. So, um, I'm excited to see that Lakers Suns game. That being said, before we go to a break, we won't, we won't have to go too quick into it. Maybe we can talk about it a little more after, uh, the break, but, who do you see making it out of the East and the West, and who is your in-season tournament champ? Actually, before uh, the in-season tournament kicked off, I said the Bucks were going to win the in-season tournament. And in an article, I wrote that if you're going to, you know, sprinkle some money on a sleeper to win the in-season tournament, it was the Kings. And that was like almost, <gasps> you know, purely based off of the Perfect. conversation that I had with Devonis Sabonis earlier this year, and just talking about how serious he wants his entire team to take the tournament. So that was kind of where I was leaning. Um, I am not going to stick with it. I am not going to stick with the Bucks and the Kings. I'm actually going to go against my my preseason guess. After watching what the Celtics did last night, it is going to be really hard to pick against them because I wasn't sure how serious they were going to take. Like, all right, yeah, we're going to have to win by at least 23 points. Like, 30 would be comfortable. And for them to just be able to flip a switch without Kristaps Porzingis and just blow the Bulls out by as many points as they did and qualify for this tournament, that tells me all I need to know about how serious they're taking this thing. I think the Celtics come out of the East. Uh, out of the West, I mean, it's hard not to lean whoever wins that Suns-Lakers matchup, but I am going to stick with the Kings coming out of the West. I, I feel <laughs> like they, we they – I mean, they took the Warriors seven last year, right? And it yeah. felt like they were right there. The next step is winning a playoff series. But why can't that next step be getting to the in-season tournament championship? And even if I think the Celtics will win the in-season tournament just because of how well they're playing to start the year, I think the Kings give anybody a run for their money. I think they're going to be playing as hard as any team in this in-season tournament. And I like their chances of getting past the Pels and getting past whoever wins Suns-Lakers. Coolest thing about the Kings and their success is that it's kind of making us quickly forget that they were – really down in the dumps as a franchise for a really long time. Like, you know, now we're thinking about the heights they can reach with this young court they have. But last year we were talking about whether or not they were going to able to, if, whether or not they would be able to get that 16, 17 year playoff drought out the way. And I do think that, you know, we'll look back and teams want to be the first ever to win this. In addition to the money, whenever you look back, cause this is here to stay, you'll look back at 2023 and see this team was the first to do it. That being said, I am going to, do what you didn't do and stick with my pick because they made it. And not a lot of our picks made it. I picked the Pelicans <laughs> to win. I figured it would be a young team who plays hard and um, would be incentivized by playing hard and just having fun. And 
kind of feels like an AAU tournament. Pelicans Kings is going to kind of feel like an AAU game. I think uh, I, people, somebody made the joke that the, the Thunder are like a real AAU NBA team. When you, when you see Chet, <laughs> you know, tweeting and, and Shay kind of being an old head, even though he's like 25 on that team. Um, but that being said, the Pelicans fit that bill for me. I'm going to stick with it. They're playing really well. Like I mentioned all the guys they got back. Zion's playing out of his mind. Um, that road game in Sacramento is going to be tough, but I got them going to the championship. I see we're going to get an Eastern Conference Finals preview with Bucks Celtics in the East in the semis. I, I firmly believe that. And I think I'll have to stick with the Bucks winning because I don't think the Pelicans can beat the Celtics. So this, for my pick to make sense, I'm going with the, with the Pelicans <laughs> over the Bucks. I think the Bucks can beat the Celtics, but I don't think – and I think the Pelicans can beat the Bucks, but I don't think the Pelicans, Pelicans can beat the Celtics at this juncture in the year. So – Pelicans over Bucks in the NCAA tournament championship. Book it. But if I'm wrong, don't make fun of me. We have no idea uh, how this is going to look. But I'm really excited to see. And as a reminder, the semifinals and finals will be played from T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, home of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to take a quick break, and we will talk a little more about what's going on around the league. And, of course, got some shout-outs. We're getting to the point of the season where injuries are starting to rear their ugly head. I know I mentioned Bradley Bill earlier. He just kind of seemingly hasn't gotten right. He's played a few games with the Suns, but that back seems like it's just continuing to cause him trouble. But uh, in the past week, uh, two members of the 2020 draft class, Anthony Edwards went down with a hip injury against the Thunder in their in-season tournament finale, and LaMelo Ball uh, with a sprained ankle. It was a surgically repaired ankle from last year. He avoided Super serious injury, no fracture or anything like that, but he's in a boot on crutches. He's going to be out for a while, um, and, and it's tough, right? Like, LaMelo was was playing some really, really good basketball. I, I think people forget, and, and the injuries have just been an issue for him, like, really throughout his career. You know, his rookie year, um, he had, like, the, the hand-wrist situation. Um, last year, he, he only played in 36 games, and this year he really was – he came out of, of the gates kind of slow because – I heard him say he wasn't really trusting, you know, the 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 surgery that he had done. There's there's some like there's like screws in his ankle and like it's it's hard for people to kind of get adjusted to landing and playing a certain way, but he had really figured it out um and now it'll be a while. Um same thing for Anthony Edwards who was making that leap this year. So I don't really know what's next for this Hornets team. It seemed like he was there one glimmer of hope. Brandon Miller's playing well. Mark Williams is playing well too. But LaMelo is the engine that makes everything go. And now he's out for an indefinite period of time. So I don't even know what to make of that team now. Yeah. I mean, it's really tough. Melo was playing his best basketball. I mean, he was starting to get back to like that all-star caliber player. Right. Uh, I think it was like over like the last nine games, he was averaging like 30 points. I think it was like 10 assists and eight boards or something like that. It was like close to a triple double. Um, you know, he had that monster game against the Celtics. He had a couple of big games back to back. Um, yeah. and it just feels like every single time that he really gets going, there's an injury. And like, you know, we kind of saw this with Steph earlier in his career with yeah. bad ankles, but like this mm-hmm. is becoming a trend for LaMelo. And unfortunately this was just like a freak play. Like he was driving left, Paulo Bancaro just went for, you know, a traditional block. They, they kind of <laughs> landed on top of each other. His foot kind of lands on, on Paulo's foot and he turns it. And right away you knew that it was going to be something serious. Um, I mean, obviously you hope for a speedy recovery, especially for a player as talented as he is. It's so much fun watching him play. He's one of my favorite players to watch out of any player in the entire league. He's one of the only reasons that, you know, I'm, I'm going out of my way to watch the Hornets on league pass. And Seriously. like you said, I mean, you know, now they're going to be uh, probably just back in tank mode, just trying to get another top draft pick. Um, and then you talk about Anthony Edwards, like that one 
kind of almost hits even harder just because he was making that superstar leap that everyone expected him to make. The Timberwolves are, are at the top of the table at the at Western top, Conference. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the best defense in the NBA. Uh, Anthony Edwards just has them charged up on offense. Like I felt like he was kind of the spark that was igniting everybody. Rudy Gobert has looked like a defense player of the year candidate again. Carl Anthony Towns has been balling out. Like different guys have been stepping up, and and I mean I think that's that's the biggest trick now is who's going to step up when And is out. I mean we don't know how long he's going to be out for yet. I think it's just an indefinite period of time. The injury just happened last night at the time of recording. But you know I, for the Hornets it's tough because. Like you said, LaMelo Ball is like their glimmer of hope of having, you know, a competitive season where they're fighting for potentially like maybe a play in tournament spot if things really go well for them. Uh, now, you know, they're, they're more of a tanking team. But for the Timberwolves, it's more so who's going to step up and how can they stay afloat uh, as, as they wait for, you know, some sort of results on Anthony Edwards' injury and, and can they stay toward the top of the Western Conference? Because I could be wrong, but this does kind of feel like around the time last year, maybe it's a little earlier, but like when the Pelicans were in first place in the Western Conference and then Zion goes yeah. down and all of a sudden they had kind of dropped all the way out of the, the playoff <laughs> picture, uh, at least from the top six in the West. So I kind of hope yeah. it's not the same with, with the Timberwolves, but you know, you never know when, when you lose a star player like Anthony Edwards. Man, I didn't even think about it like that. It was around the same juncture in the year. I think the Pelicans might have been like maybe – 15 and 8 or 16 and 8 because I, I remember looking and, and we were doing some research on the latest that New Orleans had, you know, held, um, you know, first place in, in the Western Conference. And I think that was the latest that they had done so since they finished um, second in the West, you know, back in 2008. And I know they had like an 8 and 0 or 9 and 0 start um, back in the 2010 2011 season. I say I know that like I'm like, I was there. I remember they are like eight. No, I, I felt like a Facebook memory that I like said last undefeated team in the league. So yeah, but but it is pretty similar. Hopefully, it's not um, as serious as Zion's injury was last year. I see he's been listed with a hip pointer and, and doubtful for for the moving forward. So at least he's not you know completely out. So maybe that means that they avoided a serious injury. Um, and when you talk about Lamelo, one more point on him. You know. As funny, as fun as he has been to watch, I think the the biggest thing for me is that he just comes on strong as the game goes on, and when the moments get the biggest, that's when he's playing at his best. And I think part of it is because the Hornets team, you know, does have you know a, f- a few weaknesses, but he covers up a lot of them as long as they can stay within striking distance. I, I, he had a big game against the Wizards recently, and they were down double digits against a Wizards team that hasn't won very many games this year. But he knew that if they stay within striking distance, he could take over and, and put his handprint, you know, all over different parts uh, of the game. And I think that's the, the the most impressive thing about them. And I know I, I led into it by saying their draft classmates, you know, Anthony Edwards went one, Lamelo went three, and we talked about Tyrese Halliburton. We, we've we've sung the praise of Tyrese Maxey, you know, on on this pod as well. And there are other guys in that draft class. Talk about the guy who went last in the first round, Desmond Bain. You know, Devin Vassell signed a, a huge contract extension th- this past off season, like the 2020 draft class, it, it was such a weird draft. I know you remember covering it, you know, it was the COVID draft. It was pushed back to November. People really couldn't evaluate prospects. The college basketball season got cut off. You couldn't travel to see people. You couldn't work them out, but all things considered three years later, I guess this is year four for those guys. It's pretty incredible how impactful just so many of those guys have been so far up to this point in the career. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is like, you know, I mean, I've 
been doing NBA draft stuff over at Sporting News and, and NBA.com for about five or six seasons now. And that is definitely the most unique draft class that I've had to evaluate. Actually, I guess before the 2024 draft class that I'm going to have to evaluate this year, which is kind of all over the place. Uh, but that's, you know, a story for a different time. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the 2024 class. But yeah, I, it, I'm almost chalking it up to coincidence that like it was the year that um, you know, there was, I mean, players were limited to, and teams were limited to the amount mm-hmm. of players they could bring into their facilities. Like there was a cap, like it wasn't just, Hey, anybody you want to work out, have them come in. Like you had a limit on how many players you could bring in because of COVID you, all the interviews that are normally done in person were done online over zoom because of COVID. Like even the media interviews that I was doing were all like in like mm-hmm. group settings on zoom because of COVID. So it was a very unique draft class, but it is kind of bizarre to see that so many contributors have come out of this draft class. Another player that came to mind that, you know, I mean, you weren't going to sit there and list all the impactful players in the draft <laughs> class, but like Emmanuel quickly, someone who I think is like, as yeah. of right now, the betting favorite to be six man of the year. And he's been awesome too. So, you know, there's a bunch of guys who are stepping in and uh, you know, already in three, four seasons have made a massive mm-hmm. impact for their teams. Um, none bigger than Tyrese Halliburton though, in my opinion, I mean, yeah. like, you know, Anthony Edwards has been incredible. Um, I, I, I guess maybe it would be strong to say that Anthony Edwards hasn't been as impactful as Tyrese Halliburton, but that's a, that's a really good Timberwolves team. Like if you were to pull him off of the Timberwolves and I guess we're going to find out maybe even for a short period of time here, uh, how good they'll be without him. But you know, the Pacers right now, I, I don't know, they'd, they'd be in the bottom of the Eastern conference without Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, what the guy mm-hmm. is doing is absolutely incredible. He's averaging 26 points per game, a league leading 11.9 assists per game on 50, 40, 90 shooting splits. And I wanted to ask you a question that oh boy, I was comparing, and this is a comparison that's happening a lot on Twitter already, him and Steve Nash. But Steve uh-huh. Nash's 06 MVP season, he averaged 18.8 points per game, a league leading 10.5 assists on 50, 40, 90 splits. So my question for you is, what would Tyrese Halliburton have to do to win MVP? I know it is a different time. It is not the same league that it was when, I mean, 18.8 points per game, I'm pretty sure is close to the least ever averaged uh, by an MVP in, uh, by Steve Nash in that 06 season. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's averaging 26 and 12, basically. I mean, the mm-hmm. Pacers are, I think, nine and seven at the time of recording. I don't, yep. I, I don't know if they played tonight. I, I haven't, uh, we're recording this as the games are going on. So I'm not <laughs> sure if they won or lost, if they have, but you know, would top six in the Eastern conference be enough for him to be in the MVP running and receive votes, at least in the top five off night for the Pacers. So they'll be, they'll be there. The nine to seven holds true. They're not, they're not playing okay. tonight. Um, but to answer your question, that's a really, really good question. And I hadn't really thought about that. And I look at the standings and I see they're right there group with the Knicks, heat Cavs, nets. Um, if, if I, I mean, realistically, like if he can keep them, out of the play-in tournament. Hey, that's a really strong case because, like you said, the the ways in which the guys on that team are, are playing, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure you can look at the, the ways in which, you know, Obi Toppin or, or Buddy Hill, he makes like you, – you're not just getting, you know, 12 assists on a nightly basis without setting people up and making life way, way easier for them. So when I think about him and, and, and just the fact that, you know, the definition of, of – most valuable, right? I think this Pacers team is good enough to take care of business against teams they should take care of business against. If they do that enough times, that should get them some wins and they can sneak into some wins that maybe they aren't expected to get. I know that I mentioned they went 4-0 in a group that also featured the Cavs and the Sixers and the Hawks. Um, and not that like those teams are world beaters, but they did beat the Sixers and he had a monster game 
in Philadelphia in an in-season tournament game. So, you know, he's doing things like that. And that is very much an MVP moment, you know, like he has MVP moments, you know, we're, you know, just less than 20 games into the season. He has MVP moments. Now the MVP narrative of a player in Indiana, maybe not as big as it might be, you know, elsewhere, but, but that's a, a great point for him at 14 that, you know, if they're able to win 43, 45 games, Nobody expected the Pacers to do that. They're ahead of schedule because of him and only him. And, and I think if they're able to keep this up, I'm keeping an eye on it. I guess my, my response to you before we before we move on, do you think that they can actually keep this up? I think that they can keep it up in terms of like being a playing team. Like I, they, to me, are a playing like they're anywhere between that like five to ten range. I don't think they're yeah. going to be a team that like kind of creeps up into the top four in the Eastern Conference. I think you know as the season goes on, they're eventually going to kind of fall off a little bit. But I still think they're going to be a team that is competing for a play-in spot, maybe one of the bottom five or six seeds in the Eastern Conference. Um, but you know, I, I just looked it up. Steve Nash and the Suns won fifty-four games that year. The Pacers <laughs> are not going to win fifty-four games this year. Yeah. And I also was not, you know, I wasn't proposing that in a way of saying I think that you know Tyrese Halliburton should be the MVP. I just think that it's an interesting it's comparison close. to make. Because, you know, I mean, there's players like him, players like Shea Gildas-Alexander, who have the Thunder, you know, mm-hmm. way ahead of schedule as well. Obviously, Chet's been incredible. Uh, but, you know, like they – those are the type of players who I feel like should garner a little bit more attention for those type of discussions. Like I feel like treetops, you know, you're going to you're gonna have Jokic, you're going to have Embiid, you're going to have Tatum, you're going to have – I mean, normally it's Giannis, but maybe Dame eats into that a little bit. Like mm-hmm. kind of the same deal with the guys in Phoenix, like KD and, and Book kind of eat into their – uh, MVP case a little bit, but you know when you have a standalone guy like Tyrese Halliburton or a standalone guy, I say that a little bit more loosely for Shea Gilgis Alexander with the talent around him. But it does make me a little bit curious of when you're talking about value to your team and just how valuable they are to their specific teams. Like, could that elevate them in the MVP race? Uh, you know, amongst the big names like Embiid and Jokic. I think for Shea, the standalone argument does really kind of hold some validity, just because. Unlike, you know, whether it's Jason Tatum in, in Boston or Giannis in, in Milwaukee or whoever the case is, like the guys that they're with are very much finished products, whether it's Porzingis and Holiday and Jalen Brown, you know, or, or Dame Lillard and Chris Middleton, whereas Shea is elevating those guys. You know, Chet, I think, it, it, I know, is it, better than he probably would be in other situations. And you can talk about the whole rookie of the year thing where Chet has now, you know, uh become the odds on favorite at least right now you take a snapshot of things and he passed Victor Wimanyama so if you don't pay attention to Kyle when he said take the field this is why you should listen to Kyle (laughs) but I do think that something should be said you know for elevating the guys around you and I know one of those Steve Nash years and I think it's the year that you're talking about um was the second year of the back-to-back right when he had those numbers yep that was a year that Amari went down yep I think he played one game that year so like he elevated the the play of everybody around you um, so to win 54 games with that team, not to say that they were, you know, scrubs or bums, but like they were missing an all NBA level player. So to elevate the level of players around you, I think that that credit is deserved for that. And ultimately, I don't think that, you know, we're, Tyrus Halliburton is not going to be win the MVP this year. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I think that he again, if this holds and they can stay above 500 and, and, and be a postseason team. He definitely deserves to be, you know, an, a, a top five finish in MVP because certainly what he's putting together is MVP level body of work. So 
Big shout out to Tyrese Halliburton if you have if you haven't been able to tell. He's a joy to watch play. It's really cool to see him set the table for everybody on that team. Now, of course, we shout out to Tyrese Halliburton. Any other shout outs around the league before we wrap up here? I I don't know if you wrote down a shout out before we went into this, but <laughs> I have a feeling that you know me going first, I might take yours. But my oh, shout out is to our guy LeBron James. 66,139 minutes on an NBA basketball court. I did the math earlier today. That Please is tell me. almost 46 <laughs> full days. And I'm not sure if I thought that number was going to be higher or lower. That is almost 46 full days of minutes in NBA basketball. Did you think that number would be higher or lower than 46 days? 66,139 minutes played in the NBA. Regular season and playoffs. Combined. I probably, you know, when you hear a number that big, you probably think that it's going to be higher. But then when you think about the fact that that's a month and a half straight of playing <laughs> basketball, you're like, that is a massive number. <laughs> like, if we were to start playing basketball for 46 <laughs> days, you guys wouldn't get another episode until the middle of January. Unless we recorded it while we were playing. And I'd be so tired. I would be so tired. At a certain point, you're not playing basketball anymore. You're, you're, I mean, you're just rolling the ball. Like that is 40, that 46 days of basketball is ridiculous. And and the fact that, you know, when you talk about LeBron, um, I had an opportunity to interview Derek Fisher, uh, most recently, recently for the sporting news. And I was like, Hey, you know, you played until you were 39 years old. What do you think? Of LeBron playing, you know, he's about to turn 39 next month uh, on December 30th. And he's like, man, his 39 looked different from our 39. (laughs) And and, and he he said that. And he was like, you know, he compared it to Tiger Woods and and, and Tom Brady. You know, when you see these guys and and the fact that, you know, LeBron James at this point, um, you know, as we're recording before they they played, they beat they beat the Pistons tonight. by a lot, but coming into that Pistons game, he's averaging 25 points, seven and a half rebounds, six and a half assists per game. Um, and, and it was really cool. There was a diary entry from him 21 years ago uh, in Slam awesome. Magazine. He, and he was just like, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan is, you know, averaging 25 points per game at 38, man. That's crazy. Who does that? And now he's, he's doing it. He's doing it. Um, and just that, you know, we keep saying, you know, it's going to be a step back. He's going to slow down. He's not. And, and, and the fact that, you know, you mentioned, you know, 66,000 minutes, he just crossed the 39,000 yep. point threshold. It was hilarious seeing the in locker room video, his teammates calling him unk. Um, you know, he's going to score 40,000 this year. And we don't even talk about his double digit scoring streak anymore. He scored like the last time he didn't score 10 points in the game. I think in a regular season game, I think I was like 12 years old or something like that. I'm 29. I'll be 30 in May. So like, <laughs> I might be off on the math. It might have, I might, it's been a long time. It's been over a thousand games. So it's ridiculous. So just the, the longevity is something that we've never seen before period. And, and that's, that's a very apt shout out. My, my shout out was not LeBron James. That's a very good one. My shout out is a team that I actually just did a quick video on recently. Um, the Orlando magic. I know you mentioned them just missing, um, the, the, the end season tournament quarterfinals. They're fun, man. They're so ahead of schedule. When you, when you talk about, we talk so much about what the Thunder are doing with their rebuild. We need to talk a little more about what the Magic are doing with their rebuild. You know, from head coach Jamal Mosley all the way through, you know, Paolo Bencaro, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs coming into his own this year. I think people wrote him off a little too soon and they're doing all that they're doing. And Wendell Carter Jr. and Markel Fultz have been injured, <laughs> like for the majority of the year. They both they both only played five games, um, and, and the Magic are right at the top of the Eastern Conference standings. They're not a contender yet. I think they need to, you know, get some bumps and bruises in, in the postseason, like all teams do. 
But once they do get that, you know, a, a year or two down the line, they have a chance to have something more sustainable than that franchise has ever had. And I'm saying, you know, and I know they had, you know, Shaq and Penny that was very short lived due to injury and Shaq leaving in free agency. You know, Dwight led that team to the finals and then that was short lived. You know, things kind of fell apart. Um, but the fact that this roster, as we record right now, has 11 players age 25 or younger. It's, it's incredible. And the fact that they fleeced the Bulls <laughs> in that trade, <laughs> it's looking worse and worse by the day. And when I say the Magic might have one of the best situations in the NBA, unfortunately, the Bulls have one of the worst. But it's another story for another time because I'm sure we'll be talking about the trade rumors with them uh, pretty soon. This is uh, this is how you know we're synced up because I had two shout-outs written down just in case LeBron was your shout-out. And my <laughs> other shout-out was shout-out to the Orlando Magic, winners Absolutely. of eight straight games. They're the number two ranked defense in the NBA at the time of recording. They just have so many. And the thing that's cool is that Jamal Mosley trusts all of those guys. Like yeah. they, they will play 11 guys, 12 guys in a regular season game. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever said it on the pod, but I know I've said it to you inside conversations before that like one of my biggest, like, you know, just criticisms of the magic and this, this current roster is that it feels like they have a lot of overlap at like, whether it's forward center guard, like they have a lot of guys that they haven't decided, like, okay, we're going to move forward with, you know, Jalen mm-hmm. Suggs and Markel Fultz, and we're going to ship Cole Anthony. We're going to move forward with Paulo Bencaro, Franz Wagner, and, you know, like, and ship out Jonathan Isaac. Like, they they haven't really made any decisions, but right now, like, having that depth has been massive because guys have been out. So you lose a guy like Wendell, you lose a guy like Markel, and all of a sudden there's other guys that are ready to step in and they're ready to contribute and they're playing a bunch of guys. Everyone's, you know, playing team basketball. It doesn't really matter who's scoring. Like some nights it's Paulo, some nights it's Franz. I mean, usually it's one of those two, but Cole Anthony can give you a punch off the bench. Like you said, Jalen Suggs is like really coming into his own as one of the best guard perimeter defenders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like just the energy that he brings on that end of the floor. Um, you know, they have guys like Goga Bataze, Mo Wagner, who are coming yeah. in and playing valuable minutes in Wendell Carter's absence. Like, it's it's really, really impressive to see this young team kind of pick each other up in different guys stepping up each and every night. Um, you know, I, I was a huge fan of Paulo Bencaro coming into, uh, you know, his NBA draft class and the way that he has become a more efficient scorer already in year two. Uh, he's looking like a better three-point shooter, which is massive for his le- development as a three-level scorer. And then Franz Wagner, like, he's just everywhere you know, he's struggling to shoot a little bit from the perimeter, but the ease in which he scores off the ball, slashing to the rim, that kind of thing. Like I'm really impressed with what the magic are doing. And especially on the defensive end, where I already said they have the number two ranked defense in the NBA. They picked up their eighth straight win over the wizards tonight. Uh, I really feel like they are for real. Like to me, they feel like a team that could kind of keep this going and, and end up being a playoff team in the Eastern conference. And I don't know if anybody would have guessed that at the start of the season. No, 100%. I, I think I was more in like the play-in tournament camp because I think they won 34, 35 games last year. So just thinking that everybody gets a little bit better, I think they, you know, they're a 40, 41 win team and they, you know, make some, make uh, some noise. But now, I mean, again, if, if they can get out to a hot enough start, they can give themselves just enough headroom to where they can afford to stumble. I'm not saying that I want them to or that they're going to, but they can afford to stumble because that's inevitable more often than not with young teams. Uh, one last note before we wrap here, you mentioned Jalen Suggs and what he's doing and coming into his own. He is a massive reminder for us that young players sometimes need time to figure it out. Scoot Henderson, people are talking about how rough of a start he's had to his career. I think that there were similar levels of hype about those guys and what they brought to the table coming into the league. 
he's only played like 10 games. Like, <laughs> just be patient with these young guys, especially when they're in situations like I talked about, when they're not around guys who can necessarily elevate their their game. Malcolm Brogdon is a great vet, but that doesn't necessarily mean he can elevate Scoot's game right away where I feel like the light bulb is going to click and he's like, oh, yeah, and, uh, Malcolm taught me this two years ago. I'm putting it together now. I fully think that that's going to be the thing. I know you're a big Scoot Henderson believer. We've seen it. So I think that that is a, a, a reminder that sometimes, you know, guys aren't going to be as put together like Wimby, you know, as rookies. Guys aren't going to have the luxury of having a red shirt year like Chet. Sometimes they stumble out of the gates, they figure it out, and then they're superstars before we know it. And I think now there's just so much. It's 24 hours, and we're talking about social media. We're analyzing every single thing. It's easier to see these guys' shortcomings, you know, right out the gates, whereas in the past we were a little more patient with guys. Definitely. And I also think, you know, Jalen Suggs, like the way that he has come on with the magic as like a defense first guy, and it doesn't really have like he's not averaging that many assists. I think he's averaging fewer assists this year than he was last year. Um, it's a, it's a good reminder for, you know, even guys like myself as a draft evaluator to realize that like, Hey, just cause this is the role that the guy plays in college doesn't mean that's the role that he has to play in the NBA. And I was mm-hmm. super high on Jalen Suggs. Like I'm almost, I mean, I'm not going to, yeah. you know, say that Jalen Suggs, like, I'm not going to say that he can't become the the playmaking creator that he was at Gonzaga, because like we just said, you got to be patient with these guys and maybe a different role uh, within the magic. If they do decide to move off of some of these guards and he can step into that lead guard role, but like, it just goes to show that just because you know he's not the version of the player that he was at Gonzaga doesn't mean he's not a successful NBA player. Because like right, right. now, Jalen Suggs has been so impressive on the defensive end, so impressive as a slasher. He's making things happen on like with the ball in his hands or without the ball in his hands. And even if he's not, you know, the the top playmaker that I thought he was at the time when I was evaluating him as a prospect, doesn't mean that he's not a good NBA player. So it's like these guys right. can find different niche roles within the situations that they're placed in. And it's, can you make the most of those roles? And for someone like Jalen Suggs, who his entire life playing quarterback in high school, being the star player in high school, being the star player at Gonzaga, lead point guard, like floor general, all that always has the ball in his hands. Like it's going to take time to adjust to a different role. And it's cool that we are seeing him after, you know, year one where he was trying to become like that lead guard role. And then, you know, they have so many guards there and so many ball handlers. And then they bring in someone like Paulo last year, who is a point forward who likes to handle the ball. Franz Wagner likes to handle the ball. Like there's a lot of guys that want to have the ball in their hands. And it's really cool to see him thrive in a different role and kind of like shape shift and morph his game into still finding a way to become a successful NBA player. And for that, like that is like, I was going to say the word proud as if like, you know, I'm like his father or something like that. Like, like it's, it's not like that, but like it does like make me like proud as like a draft evaluator to be like, right. And that is really, really cool that like he can kind of completely change his game and still find a way to impact, you know, winning basketball at the highest level. Yeah, 100% last note on him before we get out of here. I, I've watched the match a couple times. One was when they lost in L.A. and he had a chance to either tie it or win it. And to see just how impacted he was by not getting that shot to go and then just see the passion he's played with as a game against Celtics, Nuggets, Raptors. We've talked about that. And it's one of the things that we mentioned when you were evaluating him. He is a dog. And that is something that, you know, I think that that is what I can accredit to. However he figured it out is because – he is that competitor. He's a dog. He goes out and gets it. And that's something that you can't measure. So, you know, it is what it is. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's NBA Sound System. Again, 
Thanks for subscribing wherever you get your podcast. When we get these right in your feed every time they drop. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Everybody out there listening, enjoy the in-season tournament. We'll see if Kyle's picks are right or if I got it right this time around. Catch you next week.